In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talk to Evan Yu, the creator of Vue.js, about advanced component design concepts and how you can use some of Vue's features like scopes, slots, and render functions to create components that are a lot more than just UI widgets. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 81. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio podcast. I'm your host, Adam Wadden, and uh, today it's my pleasure to be speaking again with Evan Yu, the creator of Vue.js. Welcome back, Evan. How's it going? Good to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Um, So the reason I wanted to have you back on uh, the show is that I've been paying a little bit more attention to what's going on in some of the other uh, communities around other JavaScript frameworks and stuff, trying to look for interesting things that people are doing that I could learn from and figure out how to apply them with the work that I do on a daily basis with Vue.js. And one of the um, topics that people are are really talking about a lot uh, these days, or at least I'm noticing it a lot more, is stuff like higher order components and render prop components and stuff in uh, the React world. Uh, so I thought it would be interesting to sort of get your take on some of these ideas and talk about uh, how they translate uh, to Vue and the sorts of things that you can do with Vue to solve the same sorts of problems that people are, are trying to solve uh, with those patterns. So maybe the best place to get started would just be to sort of maybe get your take on on what these ideas even are and what they're useful for. Um, so maybe starting with like higher order components. What is a higher order component when people are talking about it in the React world? And and how do you solve those sorts of problems with Vue? So um, I think this this phrase is, is somewhat overloaded because I think there's a, a fair amount of uh, misunderstanding of what that really is. And I don't think there is a very like definitive like source uh, of like ruling basically the the written down rules of what a higher component high order component really is uh but i uh the the term higher order really comes from functional programming where you have higher order functions um it's just to put it in simple terms i think it's just uh referring to composing another function using uh, other functions composing one function out of other functions. So this uh, final function would be calling other functions internally. So it kind of uh, incorporates what the other functions do, but uh, adds some extra functionality on top of it. Um, so higher order components uh, was first sort of, it first originated in React world, mostly because React components are um, very close to functions, right? The, the stateless functional components in React are just functions, uh, which means you can return another function right from one, uh, another component from one component. Um, and in some sense, the simplest form of a higher order component is just a functional component that returns another component uh, as its root node, right? And, and in React, all the components, uh, everything you pass to components are just props. So when you um, say have an internal component and you want to essentially give this internal, use this internal component, but uh, pass in it some predefined props. Um, So you can, you just create a wrapper component that returns this internal component, but at the same time, passing it some props that's uh, already defined. So this is probably not a super useful example, but essentially what we're doing 
is just uh, you pr- you created another interface uh, for this internal component. In the end, they render the same thing, but um, when you use this uh, outer wrapped component, you no longer have to pass the, the, these additional props in yourself. Uh, this wrapper component is doing that work for you. Yeah, so at its kind of simplest, um, an example of a higher order component is really like conceptually the same as sort of like partial function application. Yeah, yeah. It's actually very similar to that. So the other thing that I see people talking about that I think is maybe like more interesting is the idea of components that accept uh, props that let you control what how that component should render, but from like the outside, right? And people talk about these as, as being render prop components. And I've seen people do similar things, you know, with what they call higher order components too. But I think the, the render prop mm-hmm. ones are a little bit more interesting. So do you mind maybe talking a little bit about that and mm-hmm. what that looks like in VU? Sure. Um, so if you know how render functions work in Vue, you'll note that um, at the very low level, anything you can do in React, you can apply in Vue just using render functions as well. Um, because uh, the, two inter- uh, the two systems are, when you are at the virtual DOM level, they are very similar uh, in terms of composability. Uh, and render props in, render props is more like, so in React world, render props are more straightforward in the sense that you are passing down a function as a prop, and that function will be called by the child component. Uh, and the child component will, will be passing some, some um, arguments to this function when it calls it. And this function's job is to return uh, a virtual DOM structure, uh, which will be then composed with the child component's own virtual DOM tree. Um, this essentially is allowing the child component to expose um, part of its uh, virtual DOM tree to the parents, allow the parent to decide what to render in those parts. Uh, at the same time, using some data that might that maybe only the child component has access to. Mm-hmm. Right, and this looks very much like slots in a sense, uh, and. The difference from static slots that we're familiar with in Vue.js is that um, these slots are dynamic. They receive data from the child component. Yeah, so so maybe before we get any further, it'd be interesting to sort of like to talk about what normal slots, I guess, look like in Vue from a sense of what scope they have access to, right? Like when you're building like a Vue component that has a child component that accepts slots, you can like pass markup into that child component, uh, mm-hmm. which will get rendered in the child component slot, but you only have access to like what the exists parent. in the scope of the parent, right? Yeah. 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 So, and I think maybe something else I'd be interesting to talk about quickly before I move on is just giving like an example of, of a render prop component. So people sort of have an understanding. And I, I think like the example that I originally saw that maybe is a good one to help people understand is like, say you needed to have this behavior in your application of being able to track like the mouse position. And there was Mm -hmm. different components in your app that all of them needed like access to the mouse position. And you're trying Mm -hmm. to come up with like a way to make that behavior sort of like more portable and reusable and give it like a single home. And what you do with like a render prop component, at least in React, is you might have like a component called like uh, tracks mouse or something and it looks yeah. like a tag that you put into your markup and inside yeah. of it you pass in like a render function that render function accepts 
the position of the mouse cursor and now the markup that you are returning from that function that you pass in has access to those so it can make decisions about how it should render itself uh, based on that data so you get to keep exactly. all that logic about determining where the mouse is uh, all isolated in this one like tracks uh, mouse component and you can use that to sort of compose all these other combinations of components uh, without re implementing that logic or anything and i think that's like what what makes it really interesting anyways yep so it's essentially turning a uh, component so extending component well how we typically use component which is for uh, visual composition into some sort of logical composition where the component is not really uh, responsible for say uh, rendering some visual structure but instead it's encapsulating some logic um, and exposes the the final data for you to decide how to actually render the visual parts. Yeah, and that's really interesting because I think a lot of people, especially people who are maybe new to Vue.js or who are only using it for uh, maybe simple use cases, are only really, they're not really like imagining some of the things that you could do when, when you think about like this idea of like components that only handle logic and don't handle templates. Like everyone, I think when they first get introduced to this stuff, their mental model is like a component is like a widget on the screen that renders yeah. something, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think yeah. that's kind of like the most interesting thing that I'd like to talk about in, in this conversation is just trying to talk about things that you can do besides just rendering a widget on the screen and sort of help people yeah. expand their imagination and, f and figure out different things that they can do. So um, to get back into like what we were talking about, um, we were talking about, about slots. Right. So, uh, so we already sort of discussed what static slots are and how they work. Um, so scope slots uh, in Vue.js is, um, I would say it's basically the equivalent of what render props are in React. Um, because, uh, when you think about scope slots, they are, um, you have this slot scope, um, attribute in which you will receive the data that the child component passes to you. Um, so this is like the function, uh, the arguments that a function expe expects, mm -hmm. right? And the body of a scoped slot is essentially, uh, if you're using render props, that's the JSX you're returning from the render props function. Yeah. And in there, you have access to any data that got passed in through the slot scope, which is the equivalent to the parameters the passed in through a render yep. prop. And you also yep. have access to the parent scope, right? Which is pretty cool because yep. you can do some interesting things there. Yeah, exactly. I think the, the scoped slot components are are something that are really easy to skim over in like the view documentation and not really recognize the power. So mm -hmm. I'd be interested in hearing from you, like what are some examples maybe starting with simple examples of things that you could do with scoped slot mm -hmm. components. And then maybe we can get into some of the more interesting things that you could do with a scoped slot component. Sure. Um, so typically the, the basic example that I usually give is when you're thinking about a, a list component, right? In the past, um, so this kind of transitions from the, the still like thinking about components as a visual uh, composition unit. Um, so if we build a really like basic list component, you would the, this list component will be responsible for rendering everything inside of it. It will render, you know, maybe the UL element that uh, that wraps all these uh, list items, and it would also render every list item inside of itself. So the styling, the structure, 
and everything, both visual and logical, are in, um, encapsulated in, inside this component, um, which makes it portable, but uh, it's also less flexible. Because in a lot of cases, right, there are two parts of a list component that can potentially handle, right? There's how uh, each item and, you know, the layout, the, the CSS, and how each item should eventually look. That's the visual side of it. And there's the logical side of it. For example, you might want to do make it a virtual scroll list component. You might want to in implement infinite loading. You may want to have some nice functionalities like a, when you scroll around, there will be a little tooltips that's following you. You know, all these kind of uh, functionality that you might want to be able to reuse in, in multiple places. And you might want to have a generic list component that encapsulates virtual scrolling, infinite loading, and all this stuff. But um, at different places in your app, you might want the, the items to look different, right? So now we have this problem because in, in the, our first iteration, the logical side and the visual side of things are coupled in the same component. Yeah, so maybe to paint the picture here, like what what does this component look like to use from the outside? If we're taking this sort of like basic naive approach, it's like a tag that you have in your markup yeah. that maybe accepts the items as a prop, and yeah. that's what it looks like to use, right? You have an yeah. opening tag, a closing tag, it accepts an item's prop. From a consumer's standpoint, you're done. Everything else is handled inside the component, right? That's sort of the basic yeah. case that we're starting with. Exactly. So getting into the sort of the separation of like the logical component uh, elements and the kind right. of visual elements what does that look like to separate then if you're trying to take advantage of like a scoped slot components right. approach so let's say you want now you want to um say you, you implement this list component you feel pretty good about it we have all these advanced functionalities in it but um you use it in your in your main section of your app maybe displaying a list of a list of uh, projects and now you implement another feature and you click into the project, you need to display a list of members who've contributed to this project. So you have this people list and each people item and each project item have completely different layouts, right? Yep. So even the data source is different. So now you have the problem because you, you basically hard coded the structure for projects in your previous list component. Now you want to reuse the logical part, but you want to change um, change each item. You want to now render people instead. Right? So um, one naive way to do it is you, you just fork the component, copy everything, and change the part that renders the items. But that's obviously you know, not, not reusing the stuff that you already did. So instead, you want to make each item customizable by the consumer. Yeah, you basically, you want to figure out what's different between these and somehow make that like parameterized. Exactly, right? So in Vue.js, typically uh, our props are just data, right? You only pass uh, raw data via props. Um, so uh, the way you pass uh, visual structures down is using slots, but static slots doesn't really allow you to get access to data in the child's scope. Right, so scope slots kind of fills that gap uh, in which uh, the parent component is able to pass um, visual structures, the, the you know the elements down into the child component. At the same time, the child component can uh, provide the parent with the necessary data to render each item. Yeah. So if you're trying to make like an analogy here, or, or trying to build a mental model of it, it's almost like the slot the scoped slot 
it's like another prop, but it's like it's like a a layout prop or like a template yeah. prop. Yeah. So this prop uh, is uh, responsible for um, returning. <laughs> so right, uh, it's like returning JSX in, in render functions, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. So if if we were to think about like what this actually looks like. Um, the code for this compared to the example that we were talking about before. So mm-hmm. you'd have like the same sort of thing where you have like, um, maybe it's like an item list is the name of the component or whatever. And it has a items prop and you pass those items in. Um, but now instead of that having no content and just leaving all the logic and rendering up to the child components kind of internals, you'd yeah. have this extra tag inside of it that I guess in, Prior to some version, they had to be like template tags or something, but now it can just kind of be anything. So, so maybe you have like a div and you'd have to, maybe it's a default slot, but it could also be a named slot, right? So say it would be like slot equals item. And this is the template that it should use for each item. And then you have this slot scope argument that would accept anything that the, the child component needs to give back to you. So maybe that's most simplest case. It's just giving you back each item kind of one at a time and you can make a decision about how to render it. So now instead of having your people list and your projects list as like two duplicated components, you would just have this kind of generalized item list that handled all the shared logic between them. And just that little different template about how they're supposed to, how each item is supposed to look slightly different can just live where you use them. And if you wanted to, I guess you could, even bundle those up into their own components, right? So you could still have a project list component and a people list component, but internally they're like composed of this item list plus this just little piece of markup that's totally. different between the two. Exactly. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that's CodeShip. So CodeShip is a hosted continuous integration platform in the cloud that helps you increase your development productivity and ship to production more frequently. CodeShip lets you standardize your tooling and processes across your teams, speeds up your build times, and integrates into your existing ecosystem of tools. CodeShip is a great fit for your team, whether you're just trying to speed up the build times for large apps, or if you want to set up complex delivery pipelines for your microservices using tools like Docker, Kubernetes, and others. Forrester recently released their latest continuous integration tools report, which provides valuable guidance into the rapidly growing continuous integration and continuous delivery market. And CodeShip actually scored as a top five continuous integration vendor in this report. If you're interested in reading this report and learning more about what makes for a great continuous integration and continuous delivery service, uh, you can check out the show notes for this episode and I'll have a link there for you. So if you want to spend less time managing your tools and speed up your software development, give CodeShip a try and sign up for free today at CodeShip.com. I've been a user of CodeShip uh, for many years for all the open source projects that I run continuous integration on, as well as private projects where I use CI, and I couldn't be happier with the service. So thanks to CodeShip for sponsoring the podcast this week, and back to the show. So I think that's a really good, simple example of how you might create a component that passes some data back to the parent, uh, but still does a bunch of rendering stuff on its own. Uh, But I've seen some more sort of advanced examples, like the mouse one, for example, uh, where that component doesn't actually render anything on its own at all. Uh, So what does it look like in Vue to build a component like that that's responsible only for logic and doesn't actually provide any template of its own that it's rendering? Uh, so typically when you do things like that, render functions would be more handy because um, you would, in a lot of cases, when you 
so if you're using render functions, uh, scope slots are passed down via uh, in a property on the instance called this dot dollar scope slots, and it corresponds similar to named slots and uh, default slots. You would have this dollar scope slots default, uh, which it which will be a function if it it is there. Um, so you call this function and pass whatever data you would you would pass into the slot. Uh, yeah. Right, so so that whatever you pass into that function will be usable in the parent scope as slot scope. And what does that scope slot function return? So it returns virtual nodes. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, it returns virtual nodes, which you can then use. Uh, you can return uh, in your render function. So you would inside uh, a render function, you would call a scope slot function, which gives you back virtual nodes. Uh, in some cases, it would it, it could potentially give you back an array of nodes, but um, typically you need to uh, handpick just like the the one node out of that array, and make sure you only return one node uh, from your child render function because that's you know a limitation of of stateful components. Uh, your render function needs to return one node. So uh, in most cases, uh, you would think. It's just like the the scope slots are just functions that would give you virtual nodes back. Then you can compose that either with with other nodes, or you can just directly re- return those nodes. Yeah, and I think like what I see most commonly, anyways, when someone's trying to build a com- a component like this, the pattern generally just tends to be a render function that all it does is return this dot uh, scoped slots dot default passing in some computed um, yeah. results. And that's kind of the whole thing. So I think like what's maybe interesting to talk about a little bit here is I think a lot of people um, that use Vue don't use render functions at all because they have like this sort of idea that if I'm going to use render functions, I should be using JSX as well. Mm -hmm. And I was one of those people until I started (laughs) playing with like this, um, some of these patterns. And, And that's when I realized that actually... Like render functions are still useful even if you're not using JSX because most of the time they don't have to really do anything, right? Totally. So I'd be interested totally. in hearing like, is there anything else that's like like interesting about that, or what's sort of like your your take on that? Like mm-hmm. using render functions without JSX. So the whole point about um, JSX, I think, is just to ease the adoption of of the idea of expressing HTML structures in JavaScript. Right. Um, so if you use React without JSX, you would be writing something like uh, return React.create element h1, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And if you do this over and over again, it, it will be uh, quite verbose and it will you know, probably be a big turnoff to a lot of people. Uh, so JSX more or less uh, eases that um, sort of usability gap in some sense. Uh, and it makes it. It does help a lot when you're just authoring a bu- a large chunk of static markup, right? Because you no longer uh, have to. It also is a bridge between JavaScript and HTML in that sense. Um, but it, because in React you have to use render functions everywhere, so that's why JSX is uh, somewhat more uh, more or less use more useful in that context. Because uh, anytime you need to uh, express some HTML structure in React runner functions, um, you're you're still dealing with JavaScript. So JSX is essentially um, improving the the write uh, the the usability issue um, of writing those structures in JavaScript. Mm-hmm. 
right? But in view, the story is a little bit different because um, you, you're not required to use render functions everywhere. And we already have templates, which is closer to HTML in the first place. Um, so anywhere you are dealing with largely um, HTML-like visual structures, um, you, you can already use templates. We only, uh, typically, we only drop down to into render functions when you're authoring some special, special purpose components, like these, you know, uh, scope slots components. Yeah. Um, right? If you're uh, authoring this uh, mouse control component or some really advanced uh, logical component, uh, your logic will be implemented in JavaScript, and there's not much structure anyway, right? Yeah. Most of the logic is still just plain JavaScript. Um, so it's really, like, JSX wouldn't really make much difference in those use cases anyway. Yeah, I think that's what I found interesting was when I actually needed to use a render function for something, that component didn't contain, like, a single tag declaration anywhere because yeah. it was literally just returning the default um, slot or the default scoped slot. And what I think is interesting there that a lot of people maybe don't realize or might help bridge the gap for people is like understanding that when you're authoring a component this way and you pass in a scoped slot or even just a regular slot, these components don't need to have like that additional wrapper element that maybe like you're used to always having to have, you know what I mean? Because you can just return the, the nodes that were passed to you directly. And now this component doesn't actually provide any new tags or anything like at all. Right. So you can think of uh, component A doesn't render any structure of its own. Instead, it just returns uh, component B. Yeah, it's really cool. And, and something that that made me notice, um, which I, hopefully it's not just me who, who didn't realize this initially or who didn't think about it, is that a lot of the tags that we see in Vue, um, like in the documentation even, that, that feel like special features of Vue, like the keep alive tags or transition group or the transition tag, they're not actually anything special. They're, they're not like special features of Vue that Vue compiles in any special way. They're literally just plain, boring components implemented with render functions exactly, exactly like the ones that we're talking about. So I think it'd be interesting maybe to hear more about sort of the underlying implementation of like the transition component, for example. Like maybe that would be interesting for people to sort of understand and help, uh, you know, inspire some ideas around mm -hmm. what you can do when you take this sort of approach to authoring things. So, so how does the transition component actually work? Uh, so transition component, uh, interestingly, uh, might not be the perfect example for this because it does have some uh, uh, dependency on the internal implementation. The transition component works more like an interface that we expose to collect uh, the hooks and the, the classes that you want to specify at runtime. Uh -huh. uh, at, uh, and it also uh, is responsible for handling the, uh, the transition modes. Um, but some lower level, uh, lower level access stuff like that actually deals with the DOM, deals with adding and removing classes are uh, a module in the in the lower level virtual DOM. Um, but but I can I can um, so the transition component still is is valuable when you study like what it actually does is that um, it it essentially takes whatever you give inside of it. Uh, as a normal slot, it takes a hold of that uh, element virtual node, the virtual node that represents the element. Uh, 
and then it uh, enhances that node with some extra hooks. Okay, so and then returns that same node. Yeah. Does, does it make sense? So yep. it's it's more like taking some anything that you pass to it, uh, enhance that node, and th- then returns the same node. So when that node gets passed to the virtual DOM engine, the virtual DOM engine will eventually render exactly the same thing, uh, except because of those extra hooks, uh, the, 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 the transition module in the, in the virtual DOM engine knows that when this node is inserted or removed, we need to do something extra. So that's all the component is really doing. So am I right in saying that the transition component like could be implemented in user land if you wanted? too like i guess that's like the the interesting thing that i'm trying to trying to get at about like some of these components that you see in view like uh trying to understand like is there anything special about them or or are they really just interesting examples of some more creative sort of component design um i would say uh the the built-in ones right transition and keep alive they do have some reliance on uh some special internal mechanism that make them useful uh the and that's the reason why we put them in core in the first place, yeah. right? If it can totally be implemented in the user land, we would just split them out to be individual libraries, okay. yep. right? Uh, so on the other hand, if you think about <clears throat> router link and router view in the in the view router, those are pure user land components. Yeah. Right. So uh, router view is, uh, and both router view and router link are also implemented using render functions, and they don't rely on anything special from view core. They are just pure user land components. Um, so for the as for the, the for the transition component, one of the reasons that it relies on the internal virtual DOM modules is because um, the the if you under um, you've had experience looking into view source, um, the internal of view core is separated into a platform agnostic runtime, uh, the core quote quote the core, uh, and uh, some platform specific code. So yep. some. So the the code that actually deals with CSS classes and inserting and removing DOM nodes are all inside the, the web platform uh, module. Yeah. So uh, we, we don't want a core component to be tightly coupled to a specific platform. So the transition component really only deals with the, uh, the more abstract part of what transition means, which, which is interesting because we are able to reduce the same transition component logic and hook it up to a different lower level runtime module, uh, say in weeks. So yeah. we have the same component running in weeks, but with a completely different lower level implementation at the virtual DOM level. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's also I think that's also the power of of you know abstracting things with components is that um, because we're only dealing with render functions, we're only dealing with the virtual DOM. We're not actually touching the real DOM in any sense. So. All of these components, like the, the boundary of what these render functions can do is they manipulate these abstract node tree structures, right? That's, that's, where, uh, that's essentially the boundary of responsibility for these components. Um, you manipulate these tree structures and return them to the virtual DOM engine, and the virtual DOM engine will finally decide what to do with them. So I guess, I guess the disappointing point, uh, disappointing side about this is uh, the transition component really is something special. Uh, it would be pretty difficult if you want to do it in pure user land. But um, I wouldn't say it's 100% impossible, but you would be 
you, you would need to be really, really familiar with how the underlying virtual DOM engine works to be able to do that. Yeah. So even still, I still think it is interesting to realize, though, that the transition component is like a component, you know, even yeah. if it does have some special magic sauce under the hood, um, like it still is a component that has a render function and that's ultimately like, like how it right. works, right? Yeah. On the bright side, on the bright side, there's one thing you can do with the transition component is right. Um, uh, you know, it accepts a lot of props. Like you can specify what classes it should add or remove. You can specify the timeouts or special uh, JavaScript hooks and all that. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can write a higher order component that simply returns the transition component. Yeah, so that's actually an interesting idea that I've been right. thinking about that I haven't tried yet, um, mm -hmm. but sounded interesting to me because there's certainly situations where you're trying to implement uh, some sort of complex transition that can't yep. be done with just like CSS classes and you need to drop down to the JavaScript hooks level so you can do a lot yep. of that stuff. And coming up with, I guess, patterns for making that reusable might be... Uh, be, might sound like a challenging problem to solve until you realize that you can totally just write a wrapper component for the yep. transition component, give it like a special name, and then it gets back to like what we first started talking about, which is like that that component basically just becomes like a partially applied function, right? For exactly. the, the transition component. Exactly. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at, at Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really... Uh, it's not just a great feature, but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy. And we want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer. So the fact that we're able to click on you know, th this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important. If we get an email from a customer and the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, okay, you know, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't we'd be dealing with it so i've been using rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app nitpick ci and loving it uh, if you want to check it out you can head over to rollbar.com slash full stack radio and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days so check that out and uh, thanks again to rollbar for sponsoring full stack radio we talked about like a, a real basic example of like a scoped slot mm -hmm. component. We talked a little bit about some more complicated stuff that you could do if you didn't want to render any UI or anything from the component, like a mouse tracking component or something. Um, are there any other examples you can think of of really interesting, creative ways you've seen people um, design components with Vue that sort of break out of that kind of simplistic uh, a component is a UI widget sort of model? Yeah, so uh, one interesting example uh, I figured out when I, so I came up with this idea when I was uh, discussing with someone online and he was uh, showing me this uh, language that can express an async operation directly in a procedural way. 
So I found that really interesting, and I was I was actually implementing implementing scope slots back then, and I was essentially trying to see what scope slots could do in that case. So I implement this uh, something like a fetch or async or await component. Um, so this is a component, but you give it a URL, it will you know send an AJAX request to that URL, and and then it expects you to give it a scope slot. And this scope slot would receive uh, all the data regarding that request uh, in its argument, uh, in its slot scope argument. So you would get an object that contains the current status of the request, uh, the code of the request, and uh, if the, the, the request succeeded, the data of the request. Right? So this allows you to, so this component, interestingly, abstracts everything away, uh, abstract all the asynchronous, error handling and all the like making the request, it abstracts all of these things. Instead, it gives you this one object that you just uh, then decide what to do with this object. So if there is an error in the object, you just render the error. If there is uh, something, if it's pending, you render a pending state. If it's uh, if it, it has already completed, you would just use the data to render something uh, to show to the user. So. Um, you express all of these logic directly in the templates. You're just using normal vifs, like vif, uh, you, we got an error, we just render an error. So now it looks quite interesting because um, you're not writing any JavaScript. You don't need to worry about any of the asynchronicity uh, in this request. You're just uh, using that component and then uh, almost mechanically just writing out things that you want to see at yeah. different point of time. That's right. fascinating, actually. So it's like yeah. it gives you like an API for sort of having just this like declarative representation of totally. what you want the f the final result to be when this data is fetched. Totally abstracting away even the fact that it even is yeah. asynchronous or that it's yeah. going to take some some time or anything. So that's fascinating because it's basically like it's almost like you can take any function and turn it into a component in a lot of ways, yep. right? Yep. And yeah. if you think about like a scoped slot, like the slot that you pass into the component as just like a callback that you might pass to a function, well, then it sort of becomes obvious that you could abstract away like an asynchronous operation that way. Yeah, yeah that's and really the cool. even cooler part about this async component that I just talked about is I realize it's infinitely composable, right? Uh, even inside that uh, scoped slot uh, of this component, you can use this component itself again. Oh, that's so, interesting. So now you have cascading requests, and everything, like all the edge cases, are handled elegantly because, uh, like that part, like a certain part of the template would only be rendered if the previous request has succeeded. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so I use that to implement a very complex async flow. Like uh, first, um, you give it a username. It goes to GitHub API, fetches all the repositories that he has, then goes into the repositories and figure out uh, all the users have contributed to it. So you have the several steps of async request flow, but I hadn't to write a single line of JavaScript. Yeah, you didn't ever have to write like a dot then or, or anything. Yeah. You literally just have a Nothing. component, you pass it the URL to get the repositories, and then... Yeah. Inside of that, you have like another instance of this fetch component, I guess, that's going to go make yeah. this an API request given the repository ID to get like the contributors. But because that component isn't even going to render until the async operation is done, you just don't have to think about exactly. it at all. Oh, that's really, really cool. Yep. Is there any other 
uh, examples uh, you can think of? Sure. Uh, I think another example that's not really a scope slot component, but more like um, a higher order component. It could make use of scope slots, but um, I guess is uh, is something uh, React 16. They recently had this thing called error boundaries, right? Um, so an error boundary is essentially a, a me mechanism that allows you to capture an error from a child component tree and then decide how to handle that. Um, so in Vue, you can do exactly the same thing uh, using this uh, the, this new hook that we shipped in 2.5 called error captured. So uh, you can implement an error boundary component that um, simply returns whatever slot is passed into it. It does nothing else, mm -hmm. uh, but it implements this error captured hook that would capture any error that's propagated from one of its child components. Uh, and once it's captured something, it will then toggle a flag in, in this error boundary component itself. And when that flag is, flag is uh, toggled, it would then render this error message um, to, to instantly show you what error it has captured. Mm. And it short circuits the default slot that would, would typically uh, normally render. So is the idea to basically try and more gracefully handle errors like so that like the rest of your app can keep working even if like something goes yeah. bad in like some isolated part can you think of like an example like a real world practical example that might help people understand like the, the power of that idea right so the cool thing is uh once you implemented this error boundary component um it becomes completely reusable and the, and the adoption cost is really just like wrap whatever existing component with this error boundary component and you're done yeah Right, um, and the and the inside this component, you can do an even more interesting things. Like you can do conditional handling based on production or development environment. Uh, if it's development, you would show a big red box telling you what what has gone wrong. In production, you might want to show a different message instead of you know bombasting the user with uh, the details of all this code. Yeah. Uh, you you would show a more graceful message and also at the same time maybe send something to your error tracking service to 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 get more information about it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, I think maybe that's like a good uh, place to start wrapping things up, but I'd be curious to know maybe before we go, besides like some of the stuff that we've talked about here with like scoped slots and uh, that sort of stuff, are there any other interesting patterns or anything that you've seen in the community that, that you think people should uh, should look into and explore or, or projects that you think are worth like source diving into to sort of get some ideas about some of the more interesting things that you can do with Vue's component model? Um, so personally for me, I actually hope that uh, the community would consolidate around a feel more flexible and uh, useful mechanism instead of uh, having very fragmented views of ways of using components. But but I guess it's it's still really beneficial to to learn about these. But I think that really, if you want to get into this, I think the basic to master is really uh, understand what how render functions work, understand what a higher order component is, and then understand uh, what a scope slot is and its JavaScript equivalent. I think these would really already go a really far away. It could. I think these would cover like ninety nine percent of your typical use cases if you yeah. master these. It feels like to me like a, a component that accepts a scoped slot uh, and is implemented with a render function instead of a template. Like as far as like I've found, that seems like the upper boundary of 
all you need in terms to implement like the most complex uh, out of the box component ideas that you can come up with. Like so far, I haven't seen like any anything that you would need to somehow go beyond that for. That seems to provide like the the ultimate flexibility as far as I've been able to discover. Does that align with like your experience? Yeah, totally. Uh, and and I think the point is that. Um Render function is really like exposing you to the, the full flexibility of JavaScript in that sense, right? Um, eventually, um, you won't be able to tap into, I'll say, altering how the virtual DOM diffing algorithm works. That's just simply something we don't expose. Mm-hmm. So um, in that sense, if you're working with Vue, render functions is as close to as metal you would get, Yeah. Um, right? So. Uh, Make, uh, and in scope slots is the the most flexible mechanism that allows you to say parenting uh, perform component composition. So these two combined, I think, would um, theoretically solve anything you could do. So it's like yeah, as you said, it's like the upper boundary. Awesome. Thanks so much for for coming on the show again, Evan. It's been a fascinating chatting with you about this stuff, and I learned a lot. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, it's really great to uh, have have an opportunity to talk about this because uh, I personally have uh, have been thinking about this, but um, yeah, we haven't really seen uh, something that sort of summarizes on this, I guess. There are some good good articles floating around. Uh, unfortunately, I have, I have, uh, my, I have, haven't personally been able to, you know, uh, write something that's, uh, in a sense, I just want to avoid, uh, exerting too much opinion on how things should be done, but I think it's nonetheless uh, helpful to discuss it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be cool maybe to, to see like a, a new section in the documentation or something that doesn't necessarily like teach you, this is the right way to do this and that, but maybe just something that sort of helps people expand their imagination. Kind of like we've been talking about, like, here's something that you can do with components that you probably didn't realize was possible to do with components. You know what I mean? Like your, your example of like that fetch component to me is like a perfect example of something that could really get people's sort of wheels turning thinking, Whoa, this stuff is, is a lot more powerful than maybe it seems at first glance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, we have, we actually had a uh, work in progress pull request uh, in our documentation on this, but uh, I think we are still, uh, re- you know, iterating on that. Want to we want to make sure that um, we don't over. It's not overly opinionated. We also want to make sure it's uh, it actually uh, shows the power of these mechanism properly, so yeah. that uh, you know people can understand and actually get into it. But that's something we're already working on. Hopefully, we can uh, have it out. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks again, Evan. What's the best way for uh, people to sort of keep up with what you're doing and what's sort of new in the in the Vue.js world if they want to keep on top of all this stuff? Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Medium. Uh, most of the news that we uh, new releases, new stuff, we would either retweet or uh, announce on Twitter first. And uh, we also, if there are some major stuff going on, we'll write blog posts on Medium. So these are the two main sources and if you're more into reading the code type just uh, I guess you can stalk me on github and just <laughs> look at my commits um, but uh, sometimes I do have I have so recently I've been working on uh, our new CLI but most of the commits are in a uh, in a off branch so uh, but 
if you're dedicated enough, you should be able to dig something out of it. But we have something really cool coming up soon. Awesome. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to uh, to share or plug or anything before we get going? I know there's a, another VIEW conference mm-hmm. coming up pretty soon. Oh, totally. Yeah, we have actually two upcoming ones. Uh, there is one in Amsterdam. Uh, uh, if you're in EU, definitely uh, consider attending. And then there's the one in US in March uh, in New Orleans. And uh, yeah, the ticket sale is still open. So if you haven't you know, haven't already, go and grab a ticket. And uh, I will be at both conferences and most of the VIEW core team will be present at the uh, ViewConf US as well. Uh, you will see a lot of awesome people and we have some really great lineup. So yeah, looking forward to seeing all of you there. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Evan. Uh, if anyone's interested in show notes for this episode, they can head over to uh, fullstackradio.com and find them there. Uh, thanks to Rollbar and CodeChip for sponsoring the podcast this week. And if you want to go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes, uh, that would be awesome. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. <laughs>